it's finally happening. We're finally getting that iPhone with a fast refresh display. Hmm. Uh, some had hoped, many had hoped, many had rumored, participated in rumors, talked about things, talked about the fact that they would have loved to see a 120 hertz display inside of the iPhone 12, mm -hmm. the one we've got right here right now. But things weren't done in time, and customers didn't seem to mind when it came to actually pulling the trigger and buying a device because Apple has sold a couple of iPhone 12s. Yeah, and if you uh, haven't tried 120 hertz, I mean, it doesn't mm. hurt to stay It doesn't hurt to try the hertz. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah couple extra hertz well you know i've been goofing around with an ipad a little bit more recently because i'm reading so much news mm. it's it's all this news going on and there is news yes it's 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 never stops will yeah it's all this news the world is doing things you can't change that mm -hmm. you gotta try to crunch it down and fit it all in Mm -hmm. And the iPad is kind of a nice place to read the news. Is and, it? Yeah, if you if you just load up Google News on an iPad and you're scrolling through it, it's formatted so nicely for reading. Huh. And uh, of course, it's got that nice 120 hertz display on it too, on the on the Pro model, iPad Pro. They call it ProMotion on the Apple side, and so some Apple customers have experienced what that life is like on the iPad and what it will eventually be like on the iPhone. But outside of Apple users who have tried the latest iPad, ProMotion, the only other people who get to play around with touch-based 120 hertz and above are Android users. Mm. All the way up to incredibly exotic 144 hertz gaming phones. Now, you and I, we both appreciate a fast refresh in much the same way that we would appreciate a fine wine. Uh -huh. It's about the nuance of it. It's not going to completely overhaul your experience. It's not a completely new thing. It's still a screen. It's still, it's still wine. But to the right user who knows what they're looking for and appreciates those little details, appreciates that little extra, it can be... Uh, it can be a very novel feeling when you're interacting with content at that level of responsiveness. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at with the, uh, the iPad making its way back into my life because it was just on a shelf for a while. And I don't know why these things change in my life. I don't know what goes on, but uh, I'm swiping away lately. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's, it's about time that it comes to the phone because people will love it. And I get it. Apple doesn't have to do it. There was a whole argument or conversation around it not being on the 12 and if Apple really screwed up on that front. No, it's not a make or break type of feature, but it does help your gadgets feel a lot more modern. Mm -hmm. This added responsiveness. And for anybody who's goofed with it, I'm sure you can see where, where I'm coming from here. General public might not notice it so much, but I think in those cases where it's not noticed... It's not meant to be noticed. You're just supposed to feel, my thing is fast. Yes. My thing is fast. It feels fast. It is fast. Uh, you're not supposed to necessarily say, I love my 120 hertz refresh on my, on my iPhone. No, it just feels fast and modern. But Be going back from 120 hertz, right. uh, 
that's uh, I had a seizure. You'll, you'll definitely I, I, that. I, I, it was uh, honestly a little bit of a headache going back, and and I'm not saying to the point of of tremendous despair over here, but I'm saying I picked it up. I noticed it. Hmm. I noticed the difference. Uh, coming to this latest iPhone from, I mean, I've been using the high refresh on every Android device for, feels like more than a year now. Yeah. It seems like a while at this point. Anyway, iPhone 13 Pro models are expected to use Samsung LTPO technology for 120 hertz display. Uh, they are going to be OLED displays, obviously, but you can't just have any OLED display. You need this LTPO stuff, low temperature polycrystalline oxide. I know that's what you're here for today. This is a this is thin film transistors on OLED panels made by Samsung Display. Samsung has been supplying Apple with their OLED displays, which is not a bad thing if you're an Apple fan. See, this is where I'm always at when I'm saying put people in these camps and put them in a team and say you can't like Samsung and Apple at the same time. Yeah, you absolutely can. And you do. If you like your iPhone, then you like Samsung and Apple at the same time. That's how that works. Yeah. A previous report pegged both LG and Samsung to supply the technology to Apple for the iPhone 13, but according to the latest report, LG will focus on increasing its capacity this year in order to start supplying next year, and Apple is planning to use this LTPO OLED in all of its iPhone models at least by 2022. So LG may jump in to the supply chain at a later date as it perfects its volume, the type of volume that you're going to need to do business with Apple. 120 hertz promotion coming to the iPhone next time around. Now, it's important to note these rumors existed for the iPhone 12. So it's it's not impossible that we see another 60 hertz iPhone. I just don't expect it. If you're looking for my speculation, it's time for promotion. It's time for 120. Here comes the 120 on the iPhone 13. Hmm. If you're asking me to speculate. Hmm. Today's sponsor, Manscaped. You know, it's a new year, Willie Do. New year, new you. You ever heard that before? Uh-huh. New year's resolution. Yeah. New year resolution. New year resolution could be to take better care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And who knows, with the world taking a turn, making a pivot, it's all up from here. 2021, you get out the house, you best be prepared from a hygiene perspective. That's where Manscaped comes in. Uh. Manscaped is going to take care of your personal grooming. And it's going to take care of your personal grooming in the places that few appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's, going to take, it's going to take care of those sensitive places, Willie do. They got this fancy ceramic blade on there so it's not tugging and pulling when you're trying to take down the body hair. And I don't need to go into details, but I will anyways. Okay. I got body hair. Well, I told you this before. Uh. And uh, I tried so many different razors and shavers over the years because I've been shaving my head for decades. You do it yourself. Literal decades. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I'm very familiar with, with the uh, razors. Oh, yeah, very familiar. So when it comes to this one, they engineered it around the sensitive regions with the ceramic blade with an actual little LED light that's going to illuminate the areas that are tough to see. And they've got even more products now beyond just their their, um, main 
razor. You can see the weed whacker there. You got to get up in the nose and ear. You know, we get older, Will. Mm -hmm. And this stuff, it goes unchecked. We got to tame it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Ceramic blade, high performance, skin safe. I'm telling you, it's really magical what's going on. It's also waterproof. You can use it in the shower. Very cool stuff. It's all part of the Perfect Package 3.0, which is the below-the-waist grooming package you need to start off strong this year. Strong! But it doesn't stop there. They've also got all kinds of hygiene-related products, including the Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Moisturizer. It's incredible, mm. this variety of products. You got to check it out. You got to see it to believe it. You can get 20% off right now, plus free shipping. All you got to do is go to manscaped.com slash Lou. Once again, that's manscaped.com slash Lou. Do not forget the slash Lou, or just click the link down in the description so you get your 20% off and your free shipping. New year, new balls. Manscaped.com slash Lou. Apple's got a new patent that hit the hit the patent filing offices. Okay. You know how that goes, Will. We got a report on that. Mm -hmm. We can't let that go. It's uh, via the website Patently Apple. You know, all the Apple patents, they can't cruise through without Patently Apple taking note. And then yeah, the Verge picking up the story. And 9 to 5 Mac and everybody else. Well, people got all fired up about this one because, you know... Apple's starting to embrace the wireless charge technologies, starting to embrace the magnets on the latest generation stuff, and people sitting there thinking about, dreaming about a future in which everything gets along magnetically in the Apple ecosystem, possibly through MagSafe. So this particular patent indicates uh, that potentially in the future, we could be charging our phones and our watches right on top of the laptop. If you scroll down, you'll see it there. Look at this drawing. Imagine that, Will. You got the watch on one side next to the trackpad on the MacBook, and you got your phone on the other side, and they're wirelessly charging from the battery on the MacBook, which is a bigger battery. Or maybe it's plugged in, and you get to skip all these extra power bricks. You just, you take the phone. Come on, Will. You take the phone. You drop it like this. Okay. Come on, Will. I feel I like something's like this has been done yeah i don't know who it was was it huawei that did it huawei Some, somebody did one wireless uh charging spot yeah i don't know about two right now apple they didn't they were supposed to put it out uh put out the air power they didn't get around to it they finally came with their wireless charge stuff now but it's certainly not to the level of a multi-coil situation embedded inside of a laptop that is mm -hmm. Possibly a little further off, but still, the way it works with these patents, you got to get out way ahead. You start to imagine things. Mm -hmm. You get the drawings out there just in case you want to make it. But actually, believe it or not, that original drawing there, figure 17, is not as exciting as figure 20. If you scroll down to figure 20, you'll see the real one that gets me going. The real one that floats my boat. Everything, that's figure 19. Oh. There you go, figure 20. Look, everything is charging everything. The MacBook is charging the iPad, charging the iPhone, charging the Apple Watch. It is the tech pyramid of your dreams. Hmm. And one charger to rule them all. Hmm. Isn't that incredible? Now, the charger there looks like the old MagSafe connector, but I don't suppose that matters when you're drawing up a patent. 
it's a whole type of art to it, isn't isn't it? Patent art. It is so utilitarian, uh -huh. but also for some reason kind of pleasing in its minimal nature. Yeah, they can frame it at a museum. Yeah, imagine you know, and yeah an entire gallery, an entire show of patent art. Yeah, that'd be cool. Anyway, uh, in this scenario. This is the the optimal. Of course, you get concerned about things like heat. You get concerned about scratching on the glass. If you've ever had more than one iPhone together, I've had a few iPhones. You did? Had a few iPhones. If you have if you get these things together and the lens portion from one iPhone touches the screen of the other iPhone, night night. Mm -hmm. Scratch town. So this is a bit concerning seeing this setup here. I don't know how they're gonna achieve that. It's just patents for the time being, but they're at least thinking about it, how to improve or uh, make the charge experience more dynamic. Because right now, I hate charging things. It's still the worst. When it comes to your like the way you interact with gadgets, you can imagine if you don't have to be plugging this stuff in all the time. It's so messy. Yeah. Would you imagine like a table just be like the whole charging station? Sure. Let's do that. Drop it on the yeah, let's do that. Yeah. That'd well, it's one step closer. Let's do that. <laughs> You remember we were talking about how the iPhone 12 mini, it, it was starting to look like maybe it wasn't selling, hmm. but we didn't have exact numbers. It was based on the average sales price of a phone and they were trying to figure out, okay, amongst the iPhone 12, if we look at the average, can we kind of decipher which percentage are gonna be that iPhone 12 mini? And so anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't the most detailed information when we first started talking about it, but there was speculation that the iPhone 12 mini was a little bit of a flop. Mm -hmm. even though people in the tech community ranted and raved, more raving than ranting mm. for the most part. They said, it's cool that we got this small option that's out there. Well, it goes to show you that sometimes, sometimes, Will, the loud voices are not the voices of majority, and the voices of majority, when they go and they vote inside the website when they're about to order the thing up, I was going to say when they stand inside the store, but no one's going no, to no. the store. What am I talking about here? When they're, st when they're sitting on a website, they got to pull the trigger themselves. They're saying, I, I can't have this mini one. That's what they're saying. And the evidence uh -huh. is right there. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter uh, what the loudest signal you're hearing. It's what, what, is, the, what is the authentic one? What, what is the true one? And that shows up in the data here. Here we can see October to November 2020, iPhone 12 mini represented by that dark purple at the end of the chart. And you can see it accounts for a very small percentage of iPhone 12 sales. I believe it, I mean, it looks like 6%. That's a 6% chunk, which pales in comparison to, well, obviously the stock iPhone 12, but also the iPhone 12 Pro and Pro Max, which are stacked up right next to it. In fact, it's, it's a smaller number than the iPhone SE, which is in orange. And you know, I love graphs, Will. Mm. I feel that we can derive some quick information and context here and figure out the scale. You can see the iPhone 12 mini is just, I, I, it's impossible to call it a hit at that point. And you look at this graph and you start to wonder about the future for it. You start to wonder if they'll ever do it again. Mm -hmm. Can they afford, like what is their, how is their uh, profit margin impacted by the fact that the volume on that particular model is lower than they had imagined? And I guess it, software development as well. Yeah, there's going to be extra work involved in carrying an extra model. Yeah. E even as far as keeping the extra listing on the site and the set of components that are necessary for that one. They may just ditch it all together because it looks like people 
like the iPhone SE better. They think, hey, if I'm going to get a small phone, I'll just get the budget model at $399 mm -hmm. and call it a day. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not in it for the cost savings effect, then I'm going to go all the way up to the regular iPhone 12 or even the Pro or Pro Max model, which you can see occupy the majority. Uh, iPhone 12 models as a whole accounts for 76% of iPhone sales in the US in October and November. So people are still buying the older models too within this graph, obviously. Uh, the remaining 24%, mostly iPhone SE and iPhone XR and a little bit of iPhone 11 in there. I guess iPhone 11 is a pretty big chunk too, about the mm -hmm. same size as the iPhone SE. But either way, I guess it's a bit of a sad thing that we had thought maybe there was a market for a premium flagship level tiny phone but it's not looking so good based on these figures that, that that's going to be a thing that hangs around as much as an individual might love it. Uh -huh. Anchor has come out with their own MagSafe-style charger, and this article caught my attention. I don't have this product yet. They didn't send it to me yet. But it, this, this article caught my attention because the actual USB connector is huge. <laughs> you see that thing there? Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on? I'm sure that's why it caught the attention of... The Verge as well. The reason for this is because they're not tapping into the real MagSafe stuff. MagSafe can deliver a wireless charge at 15 watts. Mm -hmm. It's a proprietary thing. Apple wants to sell you their charger, right? This one here is going to be limited to 7.5 watts, but they still they wanted to make it as small as possible, even though it's not official MagSafe. They want it to, obviously, it will be working in place of MagSafe. And so the reason you have such a big USB connector is for their particular design, they had to move certain components that would normally live in the Qi portion of a Qi wireless charge pad. They had to move certain components into the actual USB connector, uh -huh. which gives you that fat USB connector right there. Does that bother you? I don't know. I would have to see in practice if all of a sudden I can't get it plugged in where I want to get it plugged in. Probably not. It probably no. wouldn't bother me. And I like the look of it. And it might be something that people are willing to put up with given the cost savings that comes along with buying third party as opposed to first party. See, this unit is set to retail for $22 as opposed to, what is Apple's MagSafe? Is it $50 or $40? It's more dollars. It's going to cost you more dollars. $40. So yeah, it's, it's a roughly half price if you go with the Anchor equivalent. But just keep in mind, you're going to have to weigh that option because you have 15 watt versus 7.5 watt. You got to figure out what that's worth to you. You could have two wireless chargers at 7.5 or get the Apple one at 15. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. This one was kind of curious. This caught my attention as well. I don't know if you ever wondered about Tim Cook's expenses. This was, they expose all this information because they do this you know, this shareholder type of meeting. And okay. the shareholders want to know, they want to know really intimate details about how the money's being spent. Yeah. And it, it's not just about a salary. It's like how many vacation days, uh, what are the compensation criteria, bonuses? What did we spend on travel for Tim Cook? What did we spend on okay. travel for the CFO? What did we... It's incredible. It's kind of detailed stuff, and I find it to be interesting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he comes out, and, and, and they showcase that even though for a lot of people, travel in 2020 has been non-existent. Not 
So for Tim Cook, Tim's been traveling. Oh, he's a traveling man. Where is he going? Four hundred and thirty-two thousand five hundred and sixty-four dollars last year in twenty twenty on travel expenses, which is up thirty-seven percent from the number in twenty nineteen. I mean, that's a pretty big jump right there. Now, granted, if you're Tim Cook, you're moving around in a private transportation, mm-hmm. otherwise known as a private jet, company jet. Yeah. These With are not security. These things cost a few dollars to operate. Uh huh. And so every little move you make is going to have a more substantial price tag than a regular person just buying a ticket on a plane. Mm-hmm. So you got to take that into consideration. But you're right. Where is he going? I don't know. They did all the keynotes they did locally. Does he have to keep an eye on the supply chain? Is he going to China on a regular basis more than more than usual this year? I mean, they did launch a fair number. They launched a lot of products. They did, yes. So maybe he's going over there to keep it tabs. What's going on in China more often than not? But anyway, we got some more detail here about the... Uh, Expenses beyond personal travel. Apple paid Tim Cook $115,000 in unused vacation time, which was up 25% from 2019. So less vacation in 2020. And vacation and travel costs, as well as other items like his $3 million salary, 401k contributions, life insurance, and $470,000 in security costs. That's the one you were talking about. Mm. Half a milli in bodyguards. It all added up to 14.7 million up 28% from 2019. Some other Apple executives, the CFO, Luca Maestri, 26.3 million. General counsel, Kate Williams, 26.2 million. Deirdre O'Brien, 26.3 million. She's the head of people and retail. And $26.3 million for COO Jeff Williams. All of them went up from the 2019 number. You're probably wondering, why is Tim Cook's number quite a bit oh. lower than all these other executives at $14.7 million? What you need to know, Willie Do, is this guy, he's got a lot more going on than the salary. Hmm. Other, incent- other incentives, uh, stock. There's a stock component likely for a CEO, independent performance incentives that are outside of the compensation in this sense right here. So don't don't worry about Tim Cook. He's doing just Yeah, fine. don't shed a tear for Tim Cook. Yeah, I remember covering a story how um, Tim Cook wasn't making as much as a Bezos or Oh, Elon not even Musk. close, not even close. Because he didn't- because, he, Yeah, he wasn't a founder. Not a founder. His, his chunk of Apple is nowhere near as significant as those other guys' chunk of those companies in which they started. Yeah. Bezos gave like half of it to his wife and he's still, it's still bananas. Yeah. It's still ridiculous. So yeah, but there's, there's ways in which these executives can keep buying into the company or selling out of the company. There's, but there's a lot of restriction around how they have to do that, whether it means taking on a bigger share of the company mm-hmm. via stock or, or uh, being allowed to sell off what they've earned mm-hmm. in terms of stocks. But he seems pretty happy. He's well taken care of. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, don't, yeah. don't be concerned about that. Yeah. No, no. I'm not. Tim, Tim Cook is doing just fine. No yeah. worries there. Uh, here we have a Galaxy Z Fold 3 with S Pen support. This has been imagined via concept. 
and actually concept creators involved shout out concept creator we've worked together in the past on videos with the upcoming announcement for the s stuff from samsung right on a, right around the corner here yeah we got some stuff planned for that i think we got the go ahead on the live stream we might yeah we might okay we don't have the go ahead I we're think close we we're close he says yeah. we, we might Will, willie doesn't want me to talk about this yet all right fine yeah i'll just shut up don't worry shows yours will yeah. uh Anyway, so a big thing that they're going to be talking about is S Pen support across a wider variety of Galaxy products. And they, I, I presume they perceive it as a differentiating characteristic of their devices that, that you can do pen input across them. And this here would extend that to the Fold lineup, which a lot of people, since the Fold came out, had been imagining, talking to me, tweeting at me, that a pen input here would actually be the most useful because you have an almost tablet scale to it when it's opened up, similar to, to how you use a pen with their very own, with their tablets. They had have, have shipped pens with tablets in the past, or mm -hmm. Apple tries to sell you the pencil with their tablets, with their iPads. It's just uh, when you're in a more kind of work setting when you're sitting down and you're holding on to a bigger display there seems to be a little bit more incentive to get there and tap it with a pen at least for me yes. and other users so anyway the uh, the rumor here is that the s pen will reach the z fold next version z fold 3 the screen of the device would have to shrink ever so slightly from 7.59 inches to 7.55 inches to accommodate a housing a little channel for the S Pen to sit in, which as we talked about for the S21 Ultra, we've seen a leak for cases that are going to allow you to keep the S Pen on you because mm -hmm. there won't be any physical silo on the device itself. That would be different here. However, you would end up with a slightly asymmetric design, mm. slightly bigger bezel over on one side. Might be worth it for pen input on a device of this scale. Now, the curious part for me I get it on every level that this would be interesting. The curious part for me is having spent so much time with the original Galaxy Fold and now the Z Fold 2, the surface material tends to be softer than the right. glass that you're used to on a smartphone, tablet, or iPad right now. So I'm a little concerned that the pen input that the screen might be a little sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. That it might leave yeah, some kind of residue or marks or something because it is just a soft material which allows, which accommodates that bend in the Z Fold lineup. But who knows? I'm sure they can figure it out. Maybe they put a different tip on the pen that's specific for the Z Fold 3 or maybe they finally got closer to that hybrid material that's been talked about that has the ability to fold but actually is a little bit smoother harder surface texture uh -huh. maybe they've innovated in that area right there but either way cool little concept this one struck a chord with me microsoft uncharacteristically actually i don't know if it's uncharacteristically it just seemed a bit i like it for the record but it seemed a bit unusual for a company to do this they put out a feeler and asked their very own customers owners of the new Xbox Series X and S, they asked them, hey, what do you think? Could we have done more in the controller? 
What do you think? Could we have done a cooler controller? Hmm. What do you think? Do you really feel your controller is next gen? Imagine that. You ask your own customers. Mm -hmm. It's fairly transparent right there. Because it's obvious what happened with the controllers on the next gen. Yeah. Sony went to the drawing board. They were like, hey, what sensors can we pack in here? How can we rethink the haptic stuff? How can we have a completely modern look to it? Mm -hmm. How can we uh, mess around with the speaker units and things like this? Uh, the triggers, the adaptive triggers. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really cool controller, period. Yeah, it's a whole experience for people who haven't tried. It's uh, You got to go out and try it. The Xbox controller is just the Xbox controller again with yeah. USB Type-C on it. Well, they have the Elite controller. I know they have the Elite controller. Elite controller is cool. I like that too. But it's obvious that that's a niche product. Yes. The vast majority of people playing Xbox are not going to go out and splurge. How much does the Elite controller cost? It's, it's, it's more than the Series S. It's 200 bucks. Almost 200 bucks. 180 Yeah. It's, it's a lot of money for a controller, man. I mean, two of those and you got yourself a console. It's pretty wild. But it is cool. I love it. Like the controller. Fun time with the controller. I'm putting my own thumbsticks. I'm things are metal. It charges in the case. Charge I mean it's it cool. Is, it is cool. But it's obvious you can't deliver that controller with the console at a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they put this feeler out there. It was a, it was a, a customer experience survey. And I like it because your customers are obviously an incredible source of information for a company trying to make big decisions over long periods of time. You want to satisfy your customers and they can help you do that by giving you that feedback. And it's also, you're not taking yourself too seriously. Like you can admit, hey, that other controller is pretty cool. Do you, do you feel like you kind of missed out not getting it? Mm -hmm. So there's something uh, humble about that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, given the fact that these consoles stay around for as long as they do, I'm not sure what this is going to mean for the current life cycle. Are they going to take this information and put it to work right away and start designing their next controller and have it actually come out with this generation of console? Or is this for development five years down the road? I don't know that. Mm -hmm. But it's cool to see them working on it regardless and giving props where props is due. Did you see the Boston Dynamics remix? Or did no, I get I, you? I, I got gotcha. you. No. This I got gotcha. you. new to me. Uh, did, have you ever heard of these guys on YouTube? They're called Aura Oral Knots. They used it. They had that really viral clip. I think it was Dark Knight Rises. I think it was Bane. It was a while back. Viral the clip. Remix? Maybe you can click their YouTube channel just before you watch the Boston Dynamics remix and sort it by popularity. And let's see if I'm crazy or not. Because, yeah, Bane. There you go. Bane outtakes. Or I'll not. Extended edition. Look at that. It's incredible. 10 million views. Back in 2012. Look at that intro sequence. You got audio? Oh, yeah, you do. I mean, can you even... You can't play this stuff. <laughs> Anyway, they did. They do these cool kind of uh, remixes of movies and music and 
Uh, it's funny. And it's just cool. It's just a cool channel. Anyway, they did their remix of the Boston Dynamics R Rise of the Dance Machines, it's called. And this is the, the world-famous video that came out recently, which was set to Do You Love Me Now That I Can Dance originally. Mm -hmm. But maybe you can play a little bit of this music. I don't know. We'll see. We'll take a chance here. I let let me they found a beat with it. They found a tempo, they got the BPM. Anyway, we got it. We got it. That's it's a, obviously a much different. That's entertaining. It's obviously a much different. It's kind of hypnotic. Zero, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, whatever. Obviously, ones and zeros. Code, robots. Binary. Binary. We get it. But it's just, it's actually kind of, when you hear it with modern or electronic music, it almost suits them a little better. I don't know why, why that is. Yeah, I think. Oh, uh, listen to this guy's voice. See, they all have different voices. But then there's the other aspect of it, which is their actual programming that's letting them do the thing they're doing is what they're they're referencing it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In the zero one situation. Kind of like a digitized voice as well. Exactly. So it's kind of fun what they did. And it makes sense they would do it. I don't know. The original video has got to be 20 million views close to it now. People love these robots. People can't not click on these robots and the same goes now for the remix, hmm. as I have gone ahead and clicked on it. Yeah. And so have you. Holy cow, look at this. RGB lit Bitcoin mining rig with 78 GeForce RTX 3080 graphics cards. So that's where all the 3080s are gone. <laughs> Holy cow. What a beast. It's funny you say that's where all the 3080s are because people are actually upset about this in uh, on Reddit and elsewhere that, hey, man, not cool. I need one of those. It's like, well, the guy paid for it. I don't know. It's uh, Well, you know, some people, they speculate that NVIDIA has set aside a certain number of these units for the purpose of mining hmm. or for sales knowingly going towards mining operations. Oh. I didn't even know the mining thing was still because the difficulty level and back when I was reading about it, obviously there's still people mining. Yeah. And every time there's a new GPU generation, it comes back up. Uh -huh. But I just haven't been paying much attention to it, to be honest with you. And so I see this and I'm like, oh yeah, of course. 3080, 3090, 30 set, whatever. Mm -hmm. Of course people are doing this. However, this guy took it to another level with the RGB and everything else. Yeah, it's an it's a clean setup here with the RGB. 78 GeForce RTX 3080. Now, 
Apparently, this thing is earning 20 grand USD a month mining Ethereum right now. Oh, okay. 20 grand. Now, you got to factor in the upfront cost. That's going to cost you a little, that's going to take you a little while to pay that off, even at 20 Gs a month. Mm -hmm. And you got the electricity cost, which vary from place to place. Got to keep everything cool, too, as you suck the energy. So the whole equation is in there. He calls this rig Berta 2. Berta. Yeah, that's like right. <laughs> Berta. Big Berta. Big Berta. Yeah, here it is. There was a report on in report that Nvidia allegedly sold 175 million dollars worth of amp Ampere GeForce RTX 30 series cars directly to the mining market. 175 million dollars. And you, I mean, you know the crypto stuff. We cover a little bit here on this show. The fact that this stuff is booming. Uh -huh. If you're Nvidia. You're not, you mean, you know what's going on if you're NVIDIA. Yeah, they have their own mining rig. Damn, and, and imagine, dude, and they get it up and running before they release this stuff to the public? Uh-huh. Holy, wow. And it's nice that it's full uh, 3080 cards. It's not just like the chipset or anything. They're, they have fans on them. Now, these cards are, like you said, in severe shortage for the end users that yeah. want to use them for gaming. And so this is really mixed feelings for people. Hmm. This is very mixed feelings for people. But if you do care to look at it, there is a breakdown of the expenses. So each card is $700. However, due to the shortage of cards, that price has gone up. Uh, you, you see them listed up to $1,200 each. The suggestion here is that the rig probably costs $100,000 up front. Energy for this individual who is based in Las Vegas comes in at 8.43 cents per kilowatt, which is 14.44 per month, then raised up to around two grand a month to account for cooling costs as well, hmm. which is extra on top of the energy to run the cards. And so the total rig 78 cards could generate 12,840 per month in ETH, Ethereum. After the electricity costs, net profit ten thousand six seventy four per month, or one twenty eight thousand per year. So they would you would pay off the rig in around nine point five months. Okay, well that's not too bad. A net profitability of nine hundred per day. Yeah, you just keep. That's that what running. Simon says. Simon himself actually, I guess, has slightly different numbers than that particular analysis because he's saying. An ROI in under two months. He he's saying he's doing even better. Twenty seven thousand US per month on this rig. It's it's crazy. What kind? What a future, Will. Just mm -hmm. rooms. It doesn't even look like he's in a warehouse. That looks like an apartment. <laughs> it's just, he has to step over. Just the, rooms uh, full of GPUs. Just rooms full of GPUs generating coin. Yeah. I guess it's been going on for so long. I shouldn't be surprised by it. When I see them there with the RGB and the hype around this particular launch cycle, it just, I guess it reignites for me yeah. how wild it is that we're living in a time where that is generating money. And it's very automated too. So cool. You don't have to hack into anything. So cool. I think I might, I think I got to get into mining Just do now. it. I think yeah. I got the space and the cooling and the low as well. the low electricity fees. NVIDIA, hit me up. You sold $175 million already. Hit me up. 
maybe we'll make a series, a video series about it, and that's the end of it. We're mining now, all right? Uh, if you know anything about mining, then email will at lulater.com and tell him everything you know about mining. <laughs> Let's hit up uh, Dogecoin. <laughs> uh, what do we have here? Amazon has put out a custom... I don't know if you knew this, Will. Custom, no, I didn't. Custom t-shirts, it's, it's a booming thing right now. I'm not just talking about this story here, but I've been getting... Oh, on different... Uh, targeted like websites? Ad, targeted advertising on Instagram that I should be making my own custom t-shirts. Oh. And I think it's called Son of a Tailor. I can't remember the name of the ad. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. And they're like, you need a custom t-shirt. You're a unique... Uh, you deserve it. You're a unique thing. You deserve a custom t-shirt. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know. I like t-shirts, but I don't have too many. I don't have too much of a fit issue myself. Uh, I can wear a large and it's just, it's perfect for me. Mm -hmm. It's a large in most cases. But some people, you got the body types going on. Mm. Maybe could improve the fit. Maybe even myself. Maybe I should do it. Maybe I should try. Mm. A video concept idea. Mm -hmm. I tried... Custom t-shirts. Here's what happened. This is BuzzFeed. Anyway, Amazon's yeah. getting into the game in a big way, and it may be because they want you to have a nice fitting shirt, or it might be because they want to generate as much user da data as possible, including your physique. Because mm. they've had multiple products that actually aimed at doing this. And I always love these articles talking about Amazon that pop up on the Washington Post because he owns the Washington Post. Yeah. Bezos. Uh, throw a couple uh, Amazon articles in there. <laughs> does he just, does he send the tip himself? Yeah, at he least sends it, three a week. He sends it to tips at WashingtonPost.com. And it's just like, it's from JB. <laughs> and he's like, Amazon launches new. Anyway, uh, the point here is you do, you take this, this picture of yourself. Amazon hates having to fit people with things. It probably leads to a lot of returns. And it's it's really not that, it sucks. If you're looking at something, a, cl uh, a clothing item, and they're like, check our fit guide. And it's like, okay, pull out your measuring tape and put it around your thigh. And you're like, oh God, uh -huh. I don't want to buy the thing. Just hope it fits, please. Uh -huh. Is sort of where I'm at. So they think this is a way around it. It's a new Amazon service that snaps a front and side photo of you in a form fitting but body covering piece of clothing. It will then use that image to create a 3D render of you, a video game version of Willy Do. And then a t-shirt will be mapped according to your specific physique. You'll get that in the mail. It'll actually be made in the USA as well, which is kind of a surprise mm -hmm. to me, even though the materials are not sourced from the USA. It will be made in the USA. And you, on the tag, it will say Willy Do on it. Made custom for Willie Do. And you're going to put it on. It's going to be form-fitted. And all of a sudden, you get the compliments and everything else. And then, yeah, I don't I know. I mean, then your life idea. improves. What's that? I think there's a great idea. Oh, you're into it? Yeah. Okay. Form-fitting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everyone wants that. You got any fit issues? I do, yeah. Sometimes I, um, <laughs> I'm right in the middle of extra large and large for some reason. Hmm. I don't know why. It's just, yeah. Mm. yeah. For which clothing item specifically? It's not for the T-shirt. Uh, you're not yeah. an X, you're an XL on the T-shirt. 
Well, sometimes I like to wear baggy, but sometimes it's like too baggy. Oh, I see. Well, that's your issue. <laughs> well, yeah, clearly. Yeah. You're trying to have all these different looks, Will. Yeah. yeah. We're not ready for that. Here. Basil's not ready for that. No, you probably input all that information when you go through the process with the 3D and the rest of it. Uh, so there's one way of looking at it, which is awesome service. This sounds like it could be really cool. And then there's the other way of looking at it, which is Amazon doesn't care about selling you the T-shirt because they're not even charging a lot of money for it. What they actually care about is uh, mapping the entire physique of the human race. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's their plan all along. I mean, so many of their products are like that. It's like, you're like, how is this so cheap? It's like, no, they don't care about stuff. they just trying to break even on that. Yeah, just take a picture of your uh, body there. Exactly. Then, uh, we'll have a database. Imagine, no, they, actually, I should say, as we're having fun talking about this, they claim that they're going to delete all that data immediately. Uh, the photo data, they will keep the 3D version of you because you might want to re-up on the order. Yeah. So that stays, but the photos you took are apparently deleted yeah. immediately. Custom t-shirts. Oh, we got an update on the Jack Ma story. So we published a clip at the same time a lot of people were talking about not having heard from him. Where is Jack Ma? Of course, this is the founder of Alibaba, AliExpress, Alipay. That's who we're talking about here. Entrepreneur, one of the richest people in China. He was going to be the judge on a TV show, and then he didn't show up, and then he didn't tweet for a while, and people were like, hey, where's Jack Ma? Mm -hmm. And so the news started talking about it. And then, of course, there's an update shortly after, because you can't have a guy that stature. You can't go missing. Can't be not heard from. So then official statement comes out. They say, oh, yeah, he's just, he's not missing. He's just lying low. Mm -hmm. Lying low, which was another thing we speculated. Maybe that's the case. He's just lying low. Mm-hmm. We said that was a possibility. However, we have uncovered here, well, the Wall Street Journal did, just a little bit more information onto what's causing the beef in the first place. The beef meaning, and it's not a tremendous beef, but the beef meaning the disagreement around regulation and financial companies and uh, users' financial data, things like this. Mm -hmm. Jack Ma is an entrepreneur. He's built these enormous businesses and he's been able to extract a tremendous amount of user data. Not all that different from what we just talked about on the Amazon side of things. He doesn't believe that he should have to share that with the government. The government obviously does not agree with that. Hmm. They want that information big time because unlike here, when it comes to financial products, credit, things like this, here we have something called the FICO score, which is like this agreed upon credit rating type of thing. Yeah. In China, it's more of an emerging market for, for this. It's less established long-term. A lot of people looking for financial products, maybe for the first time in that, in that way. Uh, Ma developed his very own analysis tool to figure out what a person's credit rating would be and to figure out who should get a loan and all the rest of it. Chinese government wants that information because mm -hmm. they don't have this, like I said, this established uh, standard for that. They've had meetings about it and they've continued to disagree about it. He, of course, they say is at a tremendous strategic advantage because he's been extracting that user data along the way through the Alipay product of which I think a billion people use or half a billion. It's 
It's in the article. It's, it's a tremendous number of people. I'm going to get it right, though, just because. I think it said a billion. Am I going to get it right? This is a long article. Um. So it's an anti-competitive. You're going to look for it, Will. It's, a, it's an, it's an anti-competitive thing where they're saying you are too far ahead that other financial institutions and financial products will not stand a chance competing with you because you've already got everybody in your system. Mm -hmm. You have a much bigger pool of data than everyone else. And so anyway, he said what he said as a consequence of the disagreement, the government's running a pawn shop or whatever it was, that he's better, he's better at doing the work than they are. And then whatever transpired, transpired. And then he went to laying low and then the stock value for his variety of companies uh, went down. The uh, IPO was blocked for the Ant Company, which was supposed to be historic in record setting. And this is kind of where we're at right now. Now, I don't know if they're going to be able to get along at some point or if this is uh, going to be an ongoing and continued dispute. And what it really, I don't know what it really means that he's lying low right now. Is he about to retract his position and submit some of this information or scale back his business operations? I can't say. But that just gives you a little bit of background into what may have caused or what is causing the ongoing disagreement over there. Mm -hmm. We have a nice little breakdown here of what's going on with SpaceX's Starlink off-planet internet business. You know, sometimes it's hard to figure out how all this stuff maps together, all these this variety of things that Elon Musk and his and his companies are working on. And why, like for example, why is Starlink part of SpaceX? I, I get it; it's in space. You need SpaceX, I guess, to launch the satellites, but it's also it's an internet product. However, I think the the hope is reading this uh, a quick little a recap synopsis of what what it is that's going on i believe that the hope here is to nab a significant percentage of the annual trillion dollar global telecommunications industry that's 30 to 50 billion dollars and then use that revenue to finance the ongoing space efforts of spacex see you sit there you look at spacex and you think of it as an independent company and you're like okay how do you turn a profit here how is this thing sustainable? What are you doing? You're launching these rockets and catching them? It's one experiment after the other. Are you funding this from the other companies that are actually making money? Are you going to go mine uh, an asteroid at some point? At what point, what is the business model here? Mm -hmm. And so this provides a kind of, well, an instant model that lets SpaceX remain experimental, but it can generate revenue to remain operational. And it is a big market, the global internet market. And at the same time, we have this service that really there hasn't been any version of it yet to, to, that has uh, gone into these regions, gone into these areas and supplied a fast enough connection. So it's a thing that's needed as well. Now, there are going to be barriers, right? They sent up a certain number of satellites and people, some people are already upset that, People trying to look at the stars are upset. Yeah. There's a question around the long-term reliability of these satellites and uh, maintenance required for these satellites to all be up there mm -hmm. in the, to the tune of thousands. I mean, they what did they say? They have a they've 
They got permission from the Federal Communications Commission to deploy 12,000 satellites by mid-2027. And the company has plans to fly perhaps 42,000 spacecraft. Hmm. It's a lot of space action going on over there. Here's a quote from Musk. We think this is a key stepping stone on the way towards establishing a self-sustaining city on Mars and a base on the moon. We see this as a way for SpaceX to generate revenue that can be used to develop more advanced rockets and spaceships. Hmm. Period. Straight up. We got to make some cash here so we can keep doing the space stuff that you guys think is so cool. There are questions around their, their ability to do that, but they've, they've gotten an, uh, a, a bunch of good news recently. December 2020... They're looking to raise another round of funding to double the valuation up to $92 billion. And they think they're going to do $50 billion a year in, in revenue. SpaceX also won an $885 million federal subsidy to, to expand Starlink. So that's close to a billion dollars right there with the government kicking in. Mm -hmm. And there's a Canadian component too. A lot of the early testers are northern part of the u.s and also in canada i like to see people getting service that are in regions where that wasn't feasible previously but it starts to make a little bit more sense what the master plan is here with spacex as a whole they're going to have some sort of a commercial business going on as well yeah can you imagine uh like space travel space mining pretty lucrative and you know could make Quite a lot of money with that. Well, it would. It, it it's would. It's just really, really hard. Right. Yeah. It would change a lot of things. I mean, if you, if they, if they could actually do it, mm -hmm. if all of a sudden you're on Mars and figure out there's tungsten everywhere and gold and uh, yeah. lithium or whatever. I mean, they. I'm sure they have projections of what they would might find in places like that. And you got to transport. There's a lot of energy costs there and all the rest of it. Uh -huh. But maybe they'll find Bitcoin up there. Oh yeah. It's Mars is full of, <laughs> full of Bitcoin. I think they're actually trying to more, even prior to Mars, they would like to mine asteroids. Those things are full of rare minerals. Yeah, apparently. all kinds of stuff. We have a new entrant into the streaming wars, hmm. which, I mean, it's epic at this point. There's so many different players here that are trying to get your seven to ten dollars a month it's out of control actually the new one is discovery plus home streaming service it'll it'll have hgtv food network obviously discovery shows it's going to be reality based so not your mm -hmm. type of programming which will be uh scripted mm -hmm. but instead although i mean when it comes to reality you kind of question how much of it is scripted so food network hgtv tlc bbc and the discovery channel It'll start at $4.99 per month, although in the header it says $6.99. It's also going to include a fixer-upper reboot. That's one of the uh, home reno type of shows. Yeah. Chip and Joanna Gaines. That's, I guess that's one of their headline feature shows starting January 29th. And this, I mean, they're going to come in here and try to compete with the likes of Netflix and Disney Plus and uh, HBO max uh -huh. and who am i oh and the new one everyone just started talking about promoting the office was peacock which i think is nbc universal's yeah. 
product. Mm -hmm. Holy man. Discovery Plus is home to 55,000 episodes of shows from a variety of brands. History Channel's in there too, which I kind of like, so I don't know. I might check it out. Uh, David Attenborough's got a, a, a show on there that he's narrating, A Perfect Planet. Mm. There's also Dance Moms, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives with Guy Fieri. I know you're a big fan of that one. And the... Uh, the Internet Meme Factory 90 Day Fiance. That's going to be on there, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. They they seem like they hold a lot of original content. Discovery. Yeah. Reality content. Food content, obviously. Food yeah. network. So, I mean, if they launch this, uh, people will watch. People will subscribe. I, it's, just, it's just how many subscriptions can, can people have? That's the thing. Mm -hmm. How many can they have? Mm -hmm. Do you got to ditch one to get this one or... Do we just keep bouncing around? Do we try one and then try another, or do we have them all? I don't know. It kind of becomes like cable all over again. Mm -hmm. Exclusive. Christopher Nolan returning to direct more Batman. Did you see this story? No, I didn't. This is news to me. This, okay. This website, giantfreakingrobot.com, claims to have legit intel. And claims to have broken big stories in the past. I've never, I, I'm not going to lie. This is my first time ever being on a site. So take it for what it is. But apparently there's a track record here. This website broke the news that Wonder Woman 1984 would release on streaming mm. prior to anybody knowing that. So I guess they have some sources. And the word here is that Nolan is very upset at what happened to Tenet. Which right. you prefer you prefer to call it what? I heard tenet? it's called tenant. Tenant. Yeah, with he the extra N. But I know that's wrong. But it just sounds No, I know, but you just start giggling every time I say tenant. Yeah. Tenant. Tenant. Anyway, apparently he's upset it it flopped, right? It, it's hard to even say it flopped because the world is so is in such disarray right now that mm -hmm. what do you even compare it to? What were your expectations going into it, knowing what you were up against, the movie theater problem and everything else, COVID and all this? I don't know. But to be honest, actually, since he was working on Batman, it's been kind of a steady decline, I think, in revenue, in terms of revenue. Well, obviously, Batman. Mm -hmm. Batman is Batman. Yep. And... It's hard to get that buzz back. There are a few things that are tried and true from a revenue and performance perspective. There's few things that measure up to the superhero stuff. Mm. It's just seems to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as far as superhero movies go, I enjoyed those superhero movies. Yes. His his Batman movies. Yeah. Especially Dark the the Dark Knight. Yeah, especially the the middle movie of the 3 that he did. So there's, apparently this person has some intel that he's itching to get back to direct more Batman. However, he's not into the Ben Affleck stuff. <laughs> I heard that uh, Michael Keaton's coming back to replace Ben Affleck. Is that true? Old Batman? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. I grew up That's on that. That's what I heard. 1989 Batman? Yeah. I grew up on that, man. Well, I mean, I was only four years old at that moment, but I probably watched it in 91 or something. And Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, come on, man. Tim Burton, been through this. Yeah. I had the VHS tape. 
Not so fast. Anyway, you I got the like was, This is real, isn't it? Well, yeah, but it's a rumor, though. Oh, wow. Michael Keaton, Robert Pattinson, and Ben Affleck will all play Batman in 2022. It's crazy. <laughs> Everyone's going to get a shot. It's too he much. might get a shot. It might be too many guys. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, according to this report, Nolan wants nothing to do with Ben Affleck. <laughs> so Affleck could be out as part of Warner Brothers' broader plan to lure Nolan back into the world of making Batman movies. The other question is, since it's a Warner Brothers thing, does it go straight to streaming? Does it go straight mm. to HBO Max? A Batman movie would be, like, with Nolan, yeah. straight to streaming, that could be some powerful subscription driver. However, we, have, we seem to have the indication from him that he's not a big streaming guy, so I don't mm -hmm. know what the agreement would look like, how they would figure all that out, but... I'd say it's exciting news anyway, mm -hmm. because as far, like I said, as far as superhero movies go, I think he made some of my favorites, if yep. not if not my favorite superhero movie. DJ Khaled lights up Instagram with a twenty-six thousand dollar color-changing Louis Vuitton bag from his wife. This uh, this is some tech showing right, up in. Yeah fashion i guess apparently they're using fiber optics here to essentially create an rgb louis vuitton bag for 27 grand i didn't know this but apparently dj Khaled is a is a bag aficionado okay he loves all kinds of bags including what's outlined in this article paper bags hmm. paper bags well does he I don't know why. I don't know why he said that. There's like an app that goes with this. lunch bags. Yeah, paper bag. I don't know what that means. Are there nicer ones? Anyway, you, there's an app that goes with it. He was showing it in the previous frame, and it's all kinds of RGB effects. But if you look at the close-ups of the bag, it actually is thread. The light is coming through the thread, or the thread is illuminated oh, okay. as a huh. in, inside of the Louis Vuitton pattern. So it's not a type of screen, as you might have thought. It looks a lot more convincing on the close-up shots. Yeah. Do you remember the uh, LCD bag from Louis Vuitton that would uh, display like a picture? Yeah, it had a screen on the side. We talked yeah. about it. Yeah, early, Lou, later days. Very early. Yeah, I think this is cooler because someone can just change. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, see how it's in the thread like that? Cool. I, I think this is much cool. There's a video as well. I don't know if you can see it or a GIF. GIF or a video where he's spinning it around and... I mean, it really illuminates things. Yeah, there you go. Look at when he spins it around. It's quite bright. And you can do the rainbow pattern. You can have the gradient going. You can have it on a solid color. I would not pay $26,000 no. for it, but it is interesting. Tech making mm -hmm. its way into the high-end fashion as well. Also, how about the outfit? He's a ninja turtle. <laughs> I like the... It's like the olive green sweatsuit going on, mm -hmm. loose fit. That's what you're talking about, Will. Sometimes you need the loose fit. Yeah, it's fun. We got a report here. Saw this on Twitter yesterday. Last night, I guess. Dr. Dre. Dre suffers brain aneurysm. That was freaky. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying, that stuff. And uh, he's not that old. What is he, 55? Something like that. Somewhere around there. I mean, I guess uh, aneurysm doesn't care what your age is. But anyway, yeah, he's 55. And 
he's been having an ongoing dispute with his wife and they're getting divorced and there's a lot I'm sure it's very stressful and everything else and then this happens mm. goodness gracious so originally the report comes out and these things can be obviously they can be deadly and so people were con- concerned rightfully so when the, when the thing first broke it was just hey he's in intensive care he's at yeah. the hospital that's all it was and then we got this update here which uh, he posted on Instagram and here's the quote Thanks to my family, friends, and fans for their interest and well wishes. I'm doing great and getting excellent care from my medical team. I will be out of the hospital and back home soon. Shout out to all the great medical professionals at Cedars. That's where he's he's at right now. One love. So it seemed like he's in good shape. Yeah, he bounced back. And so that's really positive news. Yeah. So far. One thing that caught my attention here is his post on Instagram. He also had the time to find a tremendous image for the caption. Like, he had to tell everybody he was okay, and he had this image on deck of him at a giant mixing board, black and white? You think it might be in the past? The image? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an old image. It's like back in the studio. Yeah, of course, it's an old image. But I'm saying to have it on deck, when you just suffered an aneurysm, that's some Mm high-level game playing right there. Amazing studio, by the way. Unless, Unless somebody else... Unless he sent the message to someone who manages his social media and they picked a cool image yeah, to go with go it. Yeah, find something cool. Yeah. But either way. Really prolific. Far as, as far as uh, Instagram photos are concerned, that's kind of, that's really fitting. And I even like the way he's facing away, like I'm going to be back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool stuff. So uh, shout out to Dr. Dre, get well soon. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is such a weird one. You know I have to end the show in the weird zone here. Okay. It's imperative that I end the show in a weird zone to reward the individuals who, are, who stick with us. Man spots terrible mistake on girlfriend's resume explaining why she hasn't found a job. Oh. <laughs> Who's to blame for this formatting fiasco? All right, this is on Fox News, and I'm like, all right, how did this become news? Right? But then then we're talking about it, so it's like, okay, now it's news. Anyway, but it's obviously obviously a very weird headline. So it got me curious about, first of all, what's on this resume? And second of all, how, are we, how did we get here? Those two things. Hmm. So I read through the article. It's actually pulled from a Reddit thread where a, okay. guy, a guy explains how his girlfriend tasked him with reformatting her resume, or not reformatting, to just... Uh, export it in a different file type so she could send it around. And when he goes to export it, he accidentally changes the name, her name, on the resume. And the name on the resume reverts to the profile name of the user on the computer. All right? Are you following me right now? Okay, yeah. It was an autocorrect type of accident. So this girl's real name changed to Princess Banana Hammock. Oh. On a resume. <laughs> and actually, it shortened it a little bit because it couldn't fit hammock. So it was actually Princess Banana Ham. Oh. And Whoa. supposedly, she went ahead and sent this around all over the place. Because, it, you know, and I'm not saying that there's an excuse there. You probably should check the thing. The mm-hmm. document before you just attach it to the email and send it wherever you're going to send it. 
But apparently, grew concerned that she's getting no responses, booted up the, the resume and realized that her name was Princess Bananaham. Oh. Oh, well, that's really unfortunate. But here's the crazy part of this story, right? If you click on the Reddit thread, which is, uh, there's a link to it somewhere here. I think it's further up, actually. You're into the, into the ads there. There it is. This one? Uh, I actually, no, the autocorrect accident. Click that oh. link right there. So now you're on the original post. It only has 36 ups. Hmm. This is not a hot post. It's not the front page of Reddit. Get someone on Fox was like, hmm, this is a good story. Crazy, right? Yeah. How deep are people going looking for the, these types of things? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's very interesting. Do, do people have set up like notifiers that are around certain subject matter and then... Maybe, yeah. It gets indexed and sent to them. Click the resume photo and you'll see Princess Banana Ham's resume right there. You see that? <laughs> this is really a big letters for the... Hard uh, to believe that nobody caught it, there. but who knows what's going on here? Maybe Fox News did the whole thing. Maybe Fox News generated yeah. the Reddit post, yeah. turned it into the story. Who knows what's what? I don't know what's what anymore. No. That was proven when I checked the trending this morning, which I don't want to get into. Yeah, let's not get into No, that. and I don't know what's what. Oh. All right, another one here. Last one, actually. This one I like. This woman had a stone in her garden that she had been using just as a stepping stone for like 20 years, something like that. Flipped it over on a whim and noticed it had some pretty unusual markings on it. Hmm. Comes to find out some random stone in her garden is actually an artifact dated to the second century AD and is valued at somewhere around $20,000. <laughs> it's where she keeps her uh, spare keys. It's crazy. <laughs> Look at that thing. It has an inscription on it. Yeah. Now she's in the UK. She'd been using that stone for 10 years in her English garden. And the engraving on there is a Roman engraving that she, I guess, never saw. However, they did an analysis on it and figured that it did, probably didn't come from Rome. You know, the Roman Empire, they kind of got around back then. So they think it either came from Greece or Asia Minor, which is Turkey today. But they've, they have no idea how it made its way all the way from there to England. Hmm. I mean, they have some ideas, but they're just not certain how it ended up in her garden how she happened to be the one to unearth it. They're actually looking for more information right now in order to figure that out. It was unearthed from a rock garden in White Parish, Southern England, 20 years ago, according to Woolley and Wallace. Those are the guys trying to evaluate, the, figure out the origin and give it a value. The woman who owns the stable used the mud-covered stone for a decade as a mounting block. That's, you put your, I guess you attach your horse to it. As a mounting block, I presume. Mounting block. Yeah, check that out. Mounting block horse. There's a horse involved. Oh, you step. It's like a step you step ladder. on it to mount the horse. An archaeologist who assessed the slab revealed that it was a, it was a rare find. The inscription on the rock reads: "The people and the young men honor 
Demetrius, son of Metrodoros, the son of Lucios. Wow. That's that's so cool. Imagine find that in your garden, man. And and the, I mean, you'll never know the exact history, but you you have a brush with the past, a brush with an era, a long long gone era. What and would you do with it? Well, the fact that she's trying to get it evaluated does that imply that she's going to sell gonna it? Sell it? Hmm. I don't think I would. The story what, is cool. Yeah. Or but, would this be automatically be brought to like a museum or something? I think I think she could donate it to a museum for sure. Oh. But I don't know about the historical significance of it, right? It's not it's not around a certain battle or something. It seems like almost a a gift or something. Hmm. The way the inscription is that it's some sort of an honor. I don't know. Was it a part of a wall? Nice, uh, cool designs. Yeah, that's like the uh, the Ro Roman type of inscription over there. But anyways, moral of the story here, Will. You never know what you're going to find. And never underestimate things that are hiding and could be hiding in plain sight.